Well, last week the church commemorated Pentecost, the pouring out of the Spirit, and so I thought it would be appropriate to uh, hear from Zechariah this morning. Zechariah was a prophet after the Israelites returned from exile in Babylon in the time of rebuilding, rebuilding the city of Jerusalem and also the temple. And in this time of rebuilding, God's people needed a lot of encouragement. In chapter 4 of Zechariah has uh, what is perhaps a well-known verse where God says, this rebuilding is not going to happen by might and not by power, but by my spirit. So through his spirit poured out on the church at Pentecost, the Lord is with his people and he is rebuilding. And so I'd like to read with you, first of all, our text will be from chapter 2, but as we prepare for that, I'd like to read verse 1 to 7 of chapter 1. Let's read that together. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, the prophet, saying, The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets preached, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not hear me nor heed me, says the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? Yet surely my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they returned and said, just as the Lord of hosts determined for us to do, according to our ways and according to our deeds, so he has dealt with us. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo the prophet, and then he brings him a vision. And then follows two visions. And actually, I'd like to add one more reading, uh, and that comes from our confessions, the confessions of the church, the Belgic Confession. I'd like to read that Article 27 of the Belgic Confession with you uh, before we read Zechariah chapter 2. As perhaps many of you know, I was uh, recently had a, an exam to do, and as I was studying for this exam, one of the things that I was studying was the doctrine of the church, and so I was thinking about Article 27 and and some of these other things, and I thought that it would uh, suit the message of this, this morning's sermon very well, so I thought I would uh, just read that with you as well. Article 27 from the Belgian Confession, you can find it on page 510. Let's read that together. This is the Church's Confession. We believe and profess one Catholic or universal church, which is a holy congregation and assembly of the true Christian believers who expect their entire salvation in Jesus Christ are washed by His blood, and are sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. This church has existed from the beginning of the world and will be to the end. For Christ is an eternal king who cannot be without subjects. This holy church is preserved by God against the fury of the whole world, although for a while it may look very small and as extinct in the eyes of man. Thus, during the perilous reign of Ahab, the Lord kept for himself 7,000 persons who had not bowed their knees to Baal. Moreover, this holy church is not confined or limited to one particular place or to certain persons, but is spread and dispersed throughout the entire world. 
yet it is joined and united with heart and will in one and the same spirit by the power of faith. And I'd like to read also the first paragraph of 28, everyone's duty to join the church. We believe since this holy assembly and congregation is the assembly of the redeemed, and there is no salvation outside of it, that no one ought to withdraw from it, content to be by himself, no matter what his status or standing may be. But all and everyone are obliged to join it and unite with it, maintaining the unity of the church. They must submit themselves to its instruction and discipline, bend their necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ, and serve the edification of the brothers and sisters according to the talents which God has given them as members of the same body. So far from the church's confession. Let's now turn to our text for this morning, which is Zechariah chapter 2. Then I, that's Zechariah, raised my eyes and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. And so I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. And there was the angel who talked with me going out. And another angel was coming out to meet him, who said to him, run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire all around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, says the Lord, for I have spread you abroad like the four winds of heaven, says the Lord. Up, Zion, Escape, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For surely I will shake my hand against them, and they shall become spoil for their servants. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people, and I will dwell in your midst. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and the Lord will take possession of Judah as his inheritance in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh! Before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. So far, the reading of God's holy word. Oh, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, in Australia we have this term, get amongst it. It's what we might say at the beginning of a feast where there's a nice meal spread out and it's time to start eating, get amongst it. Or maybe when someone has a, a nice opportunity that comes their way, to, an opportunity to join a hockey team or whatever it is, get amongst it. Well, this morning the gospel comes to us from Zechariah 2 and it shows us an amazing picture of the church of Jesus Christ and we could summarize the message with a little Australian saying, get amongst it. You see, even if the church appears to be attacked, divided, or hurting, 
Yet she is the bride of Christ, his most precious possession. The Lord Jesus has died for his church, and through his spirit, he will always be present and, and active and working in the church. And one day that work of in his church will be complete. It'll be a great multitude of believers from every tribe and nation. This is the reality about the church. And this morning, God calls us to believe that in faith. He calls us to keep looking onward and looking upward in faith. And so we'll look at Zechariah chapter 2 this morning with this theme. God promises great things for the church. Get amongst it. We're going to see three parts to our message. Firstly, in verses 1 to 5, we're going to see that God will rebuild Jerusalem. And then in verses 6 to 9, we're going to see that God calls his exiles still living in Babylon to return to Jerusalem. And then in the third part of this message, verse 10 to 13, we'll see that God calls his people to rejoice. So first of all, God will rebuild Jerusalem. And as we begin to look at our text this morning, I want to ask you how you think about the church. Is it something that you're excited about? Do you think of the church as a place where there's a lot of positive growth, a vibrant community of believers? Or perhaps it's something you're not so excited about. Maybe to you, church seems somewhat stale. Membership is stagnated. The future of the church seems grim. And maybe work in the church is daunting, that you don't see much point because hearts are hard, the same sins persist, and the unchurched people around you ignore your community, your presence in the community. And perhaps there are Sunday mornings when you wake up and and church is the last place that you feel like going to. How do you think about the church? Well, in Jerusalem, in in the year 519 BC, there was a lot of reason for discouragement. You see, these exiled people, they had just come back from Babylon, they're from exile. But this task of of rebuilding the temple and and the city walls was, was daunting. They'd begun to rebuild their own houses, but the temple was only just started, and it seemed too much. It would take too long. And besides, it was never going to be as good as the temple that Solomon had built anyway. On top of that, Jerusalem was not the nicest place to live. There were many vacant lots and and many abandoned buildings. In fact, we we learn from Nehemiah chapter 11 that they had to cast lots for 10% of people who were living in surrounding villages to move into Jerusalem just to try and fill the city up somewhat. And so the people who were living in Jerusalem at this time, they were understandably pessimistic about the future of God's city. Maybe you felt this way when you've faced a, a big project, building a house or maybe beginning to learn an instrument. It just seems to take so long. Or reaching out to your unchurched friends, your efforts seem fruitless. And perhaps you can start to become cynical about the future of the church as well that the work seems too much. There is so much rebuilding to be done. Well, the people in Jerusalem were like, felt like this, discouraged, overwhelmed by the work that needed to be done, pessimistic about the future. And it was to these people that God's word came in the form of a vision from Zechariah chapter 2. And it's to us that God also comes with the same message And Zechariah, in this vision, he sees, first of all, he sees a man with a measuring line, a man who goes to measure Jerusalem. You might think of a construction worker when he 
begins to measure out a, a foundation with his measuring tape, or a surveyor as he marks out the boundaries of a new subdivision. This is the beginning of something new when you build something. You start off with the measurements. And so what did the measuring tape show? It showed that restoration was beginning to happen, that the project is underway. Jerusalem will be rebuilt. It's just like Jeremiah had foretold centuries earlier. The prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 31, he said, the days are coming when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord. And so now the measuring tape is out. The project has begun. Jeremiah's prophecy would be fulfilled. The city would be rebuilt. So God has taken out his measuring tape. And then another angel comes and, and tells Zechariah's angel, the one he, whom he had been speaking with, to run for a message with a young man. We're not really sure who the young man was. Some say that it was Zechariah. Some say it was the man holding the measuring tape. And some say it was the man holding the other end of the measuring tape. No one really knows for sure. But we know the message that this young man is supposed to receive. And the message is this, that Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. There's going to be a population explosion in Jerusalem. It's going to be a prosperous city again. There's going to be a day when, when Jerusalem would have so many people, so many animals, that they can't even fit inside the city walls. What an encouraging message for these people as, as they were sparsely populated in Jerusalem. One day their city again would be heavily populated, even crowded. And while not having any walls, it was an extremely vulnerable status. It showed that they were an unprotected and, and an even uh, conquered city. Yet God says in verse 5, he says, I will be to her a wall of fire all around, and I will be the glory in her midst. You see, even though they have no walls, God promises to protect his city. The Lord who had protected them on their journey through the desert when they came out of Egypt, he led them on the pillar, by the pillar of fire. This God would also protect his people with a wall of fire. Well, maybe, boys and girls, maybe you remember the story about Elisha when he was in the city of Dothan. And then a foreign king surrounded the city with horses and chariots, a great army. But you remember Elisha wasn't afraid and why wasn't he afraid? It's because he knew that surrounding this big army, there was a mountain full of horses and chariots of fire, God's army. And at first his, his servant couldn't see this army around the other army, but then Elisha prayed and his servant's eyes were opened so that he could see this divine protection. God protected that city with chariots of fire. And in a similar way, he would be to Jerusalem a wall of fire. He would protect his city. So this is the meaning of Zechariah's vision. God promises that Jerusalem would be prosperous and it would be well protected. God is rebuilding the city. He's taken out his measuring tape and he's busy working to again make a prosperous city that he will always protect. This is what he wants his people to see with the eyes of faith. And this truth is the same today, brothers and sisters. That God will make the church of Jesus Christ into a great population, and he will protect her always. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples when he gave them the Great Commission. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
And so as the one who holds authority over everything, he is able to give protection. And this is what he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus will, with his church, abide. He will do that through his spirit. Last week we celebrated Pentecost. The spirit was poured out. He would be with his spirit forever, as he says in John, with his people forever, as he says in John 14. A beautiful line in Article, Belgic, Article 27 of Belgic Confession says it so nicely that Christ is an eternal king who cannot be without subjects. Well, we read about the, the protection of the church, the pouring out of the Spirit of, in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. Luke shows us in Acts chapter 2 that Zechariah's prophecy of a, a prosperous city is already on its way to being fulfilled. He says they were living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. He talks about a multitude of people. And this sounds like the overflowing streets of Zechariah's vision, doesn't it? In the time of Christ, Jerusalem was a prosperous city, just as Zechariah foretold. God speaks, and it happens. But things will get even better than that. Because Jesus says that the Spirit will empower his disciples to be witnesses, even unto the ends of the earth. He will always protect his church until the day when the church is complete. This is a picture of what that looks like in the last book of the Bible in Revelation chapter 7. John says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Dear brothers and sisters, this is the glorious future which awaits the church of Jesus Christ. He will always protect his church until this reality becomes true. And so we don't need to be discouraged. We don't need to be pessimistic. And nor did the Jews in 519 BC in Jerusalem Because Jerusalem would be populous, God would protect his city. And so we confess today that the church will be populous. God will protect his people. Do you see this with the eyes of faith? Well, that's the first part of our message this morning from verse 1 to 5. We see also in verse 6 to 9 that God calls his people to come back to this city, the city that he's going to protect so well, the city which has this wonderful future. Because the vision is finished in verse 5, and then there is a switch. You see, in in verse 1 to 5, God had been speaking in the form of a vision, but now there is an oracle. Now God speaks directly through his prophet, and he's addressing his people who are still living in Babylon. He says, up, up, flee from the land of the north. You see, not everyone had come back from to Jerusalem from Babylon when they were allowed to. Some Jews had stayed in Babylon. They didn't want to be involved in rebuilding the ruins of their old city. But instead, they'd become comfortable in Babylon. They built families there. And so they didn't want to go back. But it was to these people that God said, now it's time to come out of daughter Babylon. Time to come back to my city, to Jerusalem. This is a cry which is echoed by other prophets. Isaiah chapter 43 God had said to his people, Don't, do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east. I will gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. And now, 
now God calls his people to come back to Jerusalem, to come back from, from the four corners of the earth. But why? Why would they want to leave their comfortable lives in Babylon and go to this city which had no walls? Why would people want to live in the church of Jesus Christ? Well, verse 8, Thus says the Lord of hosts, He who sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. There's a lot in that verse. So let's unpack that for a moment. First of all, let's, it's worth noting that this is the Lord of hosts speaking, the Lord of armies, the God who can fill the hills around the city with horses and chariots of fire. Remember, he has just promised to be a wall of fire to Jerusalem. And this God, this God, he calls his people the apple of his eye, the pupil of his eye, the most treasured possession. You know, our eyes are the most special and, and well-protected part of our bodies. Many of you wear safety glasses when you're doing construction because your eyes are so precious. I remember when I was a child and cutting onions for my mum, I protected my eyes by putting those big snorkeling goggles on, on my eyes. I don't, think, I don't think it worked. I cried anyway. But you get the point that our eyes are precious. We protect them. And this is what God's people are like for him. Apple of his eye, most precious. And just like you protect your eyes with safety glasses, so God will protect his people. And one of the ways that he's doing, he will do that is, verse 9, by shaking his hand against Babylon and they, making them spoil for their servants. God is going to shake his hands, or we might say shake his fists at the nation who plundered his people. God would punish the enemies of his people who had brought them into exile in the first place. And so God calls his people to come out of that, that place, which is going to get punishment, come to Jerusalem. Judgment is coming to Babylon, so it's time to get out of there. In fact, living in God's city, in, even though it was a place which had no walls, was far safer than living in Babylon, because judgment is coming to Babylon. And so, Israel, what would you prefer? Would you prefer to be the apple of God's eye, his most treasured possession, or the object of his shaking fist? Well, dear brothers and sisters, today it is the church of Jesus Christ that is the apple of his eye, his most treasured possession. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the church? The church of Jesus Christ is so dear and so valued to him, his bride for, for whom he died, Ephesians 5. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. We are the bride of Christ. He cares for us. He loves us like the apple of his eye. As an example of that, think of, think of what the Lord Jesus said to Saul when he met him on the road to Damascus. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, Saul was persecuting the church of Jesus Christ his most precious possession, the apple of his eye. And Jesus identifies so closely with his church that he says, why are you persecuting me? And that's why he turned a, a fierce opponent into a most foremost proponent of his church. The church is the apple of his eye. And because of this truth, brothers and sisters, we are also called to flee from Babylon. 
while we live in the world now, we are also called in, in some respects, to flee from it. Yes, the church exists among the world. The wheat and the tares grow together. But the church must also be distinct from the world. Paul says in Ephesians 5, he says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. While we live in the world, we, we cannot compromise and live like unbelievers. Well, this point is, is made very clear in Revelation 18, in language which actually comes from and alludes to Zechariah 2. In Revelation 18, John sees a vision where Babylon has fallen. The judgment of God pr promised in Zechariah 2 has come. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Just like in Zechariah 2 where God shakes his hands at Babylon, now judgment is coming for this Babylon, the world who does not acknowledge the rule of Christ. And then we read in Revelation 18.4, John says, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. Come out of her. Well, the Belgian Confession 28 has this line, and it says that the holy assembly and congregation, that is the church, is the assembly of the redeemed, and there's no salvation outside of it. That statement has often been misunderstood. There is no salvation outside of the church. So I want to take a, a moment just to unpack that. It doesn't mean that God cannot work salvation for someone outside of the church. Sometimes he does. The thief on the cross, cross for example, wasn't a member of a church. But rather, this statement, there is no salvation out of the church, it means that this is the place, the church, this is the place where God normally works salvation. The church is God's temple, of the temp where the Spirit works. The church is the place where God's Word is explained, where He normally works with His Spirit. And so this, state this statement, there is no salvation out of the church, it's, not a, it's actually a call to come. It's a call to come to the church. It's not a statement which is pushing people away, but an invitation to come, to be in the place where God is working with His Spirit. So the call is clear, isn't it, for those exiles? And it's also clear for us that God wants us, His people, to be devoted to Him and to come out of Babylon. Judgment is coming for the world. So flee from works of darkness. Flee from unrighteousness. If you're living in Babylon this morning, if you're not fleeing from those unfruitful works of darkness and you know what they are, then God calls you this morning to flee. Judgment is coming. Flee Babylon and instead find refuge in God's well-protected city, His church. And that's all of us. Help each other to not take part in those unfruitful works of darkness. This is the word that God has for His people living in Babylon. It's time to come back. It's time to return to Jerusalem, to the city which has such a great future. Jerusalem, the church, that's the place to be. Get amongst it. And now we'll also see in the final part of this message that God also has a word for those Jews who are living in Jerusalem. Those discouraged Jews who have begun this big project of rebuilding the temple. And God's word to this people is to rejoice. You see in verse 10, God's, the scene shifts back to Jerusalem, O daughter of Zion. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst. 
says the Lord. So why rejoice when the temple of God is in ruins? Well, these people rejoice by faith in the promises of God. They, they can rejoice because God is with them. God is going to live with them. Emmanuel. This was fuel for their work of, of rebuilding the temple. God is going to come and dwell with them, and the temple was a sign of that reality. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save, Zephaniah 3. God is with his people. That's reason to rejoice, isn't it? We see in verse 11 that, that the, God is, the Lord is going to dwell with the people who are gathered from all nations. Many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. You see, right now, Jerusalem is a city with no walls in the time of this prophecy, a city that still looked very conquered, but it would become a worldwide center for all nations. Just as God had promised to Abraham in Genesis 12, maybe you remember that promise that God would make Abraham into a great nation. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Zechariah 2 echoes this great promise. And Paul shows us in the New Testament that this promise is is being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He says in Ephesians 2 that Christ is the cornerstone of the church because he has broken down the barriers between Jews and between Gentiles. He is the cornerstone. And in him, the whole structure being joined together grows up into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together as a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The church of Jesus Christ, with all the nations, is a dwelling place for God. What a wonderful truth this is, brothers and sisters. The church is built on Christ, and all nations come to him as a savior. The church is the very place where God lives. He lives among us with his spirit. And isn't this also reason for us to rejoice, brothers and sisters? This has already begun to happen at Pentecost, when God's Spirit was poured out on the church and people from many nations heard the gospel. We see it happening throughout the book of Acts. As Christ guides his church through his Spirit and the message of salvation begins to spread to the ends of the earth, God is with his church. Just as Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God, who in his Son came to dwell with us, he will never leave his church. The bridegroom has died for his bride. He will never forsake her. And so in the church today, we also have great reason to rejoice. We are the bride of Christ, his inheritance, and we already have the Spirit of God dwelling in our hearts. 2 Corinthians 6, we are the temple of the living God, God with us, right in our hearts. And so the Spirit lives in our hearts, and we have a taste of the new Jerusalem already now. And, in the, and then when we look forward to that great new Jerusalem, we can look forward to a day when God will dwell with us fully. Revelation 21 says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. That's what it will be like in the New Jerusalem. We'll live with God. We'll see Him face to face. That's the glorious future of the church, and that's the promise that we're also called to embrace by faith this morning. 
And finally, as we finish this morning, I want to draw your attention to the final verse, verse 13. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy dwelling. You know, this, this work of God to, to protect his church as the pupil of his eye, this work of God to gather all nations into the church, this work has cosmic significance. The church is not something that exists on a lonely corner of the planet while the rest of earth dwellers do their thing. No, God has roused himself for this work. Everyone's going to know about it. Even if the church seems small today, know that God has roused himself. And so all flesh are to be silent. Everyone must submit to him, the Lord of heaven and earth. One day every knee will bow to Jesus. Some will bow in adoration, and some despite fearful protest. Some who are the pupil of his eye. Some who will face the shaking of his fist, his fearful wrath. Well, as we finish, dear brothers and sisters, I want to ask you how you think about the church of Jesus Christ. Are you dis discouraged or pessimistic about the future of the church? Perhaps there are valid reasons for you to feel similar to those Jews in Jerusalem, those Jews who heard this prophecy many decades ago. While they sat in this deserted city, there was little reason for them to hope. And yet, how they must have been encouraged, how their eyes must have been lifted up when they heard these wonderful promises of God, when they could by faith take hold of these promises, when they heard this vision, when they were reminded of God's good purposes, that he had taken out his measuring tape and he had started this work of rebuilding. We can see this truth fulfilled in the time of Jesus, when Jerusalem was populous, that, that God is working. And we can also see this truth already being carried out today, that God is working. You can see it happening on a, a global scale. There are churches all over the world. Just think of how many churches are gathering today on this very day to, to worship the Lord God. Churches from all countries all around the world. We can see it happening also on a, a local scale. God is working here in Owen Sound. The Spirit is working. He's working among each of us, His people. You can see a profession of faith this afternoon. You can see God working in the lives of so many different people in so many different ways. Each of you has a story in which God is working. And He is working to unite us more and more into His truth. And so this morning, God calls you as well to believe in His great gospel promises from Zechariah 2. His church is His most precious possession, the pupil of His eye, His bride for whom He died. He has died for his church and he will always be present with her. He is gathering the nations into her to be, to be a part of this great and glorious city which will be the new Jerusalem. God has roused himself. It's happening. He has promised great things for the church. Get amongst it. Amen.